Um, can you hear me okay? Hello, is anybody there? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it was about almost, almost exactly a year ago to the day that I was um, with you. And, um, you know, I miss you guys. It's great to see you. Yeah. Anyway, I was with, you know, about a year ago, I was with you and I left because of COVID. Um, I remember it was scary, you know, at the time. I remember flying home with a mask and a shield and gloves and I didn't eat anything on the plane and so on and so forth because we, um, we were at risk. And I just want to acknowledge that you know, so many people have um, lost their lives and still are at risk all over the world. We're still in that um, pandemic. And another thing I wanted to acknowledge was that I feel, you know, before I knew intellectually that I had privilege, that I lived in a privileged situation and uh, Intellectually, I understood that. But this year, because there were so many people who were gathering my food and bringing my food and, you know, I was basically at home all year. And um, so now I, I have a lot of gratitude for those people and the difficulty, not intellectual anymore, but a real visceral, visceral, visceral sense of, of gratitude. And privilege, I understand now in a different way than I did before. And another thing I wanted to acknowledge uh, is Earth Day. Last Thursday was Earth Day. And finally, there was some good news that happened. Um, I don't know if you read about this, but there were more whale births and successful whale um, mother and child uh, happening, I guess, because there were so few people in boats in the ocean without sonar and everything else that the whales could finally hear each other at, in, at, in distance. So the babies didn't get lost from their mothers. And the, so it was really good for the whales. And it was good for the sea turtles because there was nobody at the beaches. So lots more sea turtles were born and made it back into the ocean. There are, um, you know, car companies are on their own changing from gas to electric. So there's good news. Finally, you know, some good news about the earth. I wanted to acknowledge that. And also I wanted to say that I am speaking from Ohlone land. The Ohlone people were here for thousands and thousands of years before we came. And uh, the sad part, of course, was that uh, Spanish missionaries came and uh, gathered them into slavery. I don't know if people know that. And they're also, uh, in, in, in 1849, when the gold rush happened in California, there were laws that basically said it was okay to kill Indians. I don't know if you guys know that, but 
It was true. California has a horrible history um, with race that we need to acknowledge. And the only way that um, that can happen, like is happening today, is we if it is if we other people, if we make people other. So um, I wanted to read to you a poem from uh, indigenous people whose wisdom we, you know, had we been listening to them instead of killing them, we would be in a much better shape on the earth. This is a poem from um, Yokuts tribe, California tribe that was, that lived in the San Joaquin Valley, which is the big gigantic valley in the middle of California. This is a taste of uh, their wisdom. This is from a young woman. It's a poem. Do you see me? Do you all help me? My words are tied in one with great mountains, with great rocks, with great trees, in one with my body and my heart. Do you all help me with supernatural power and your day and your night? All of you see me, one with this world. Especially, you know, California Indian, the Southwest, the Indians of the Southwest, the Navajos certainly um, have this taste of wholeness, this taste of oneness, this taste of how we can live in balance on this earth. We should have been listening to them. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's also the fundamental teaching of our way. This sense of wholeness, this, this real, you know, sense of belonging that we all yearn for to return to is wholeness to return to a way of walking on the earth that's connected with everything instead of just living from the head. So um, I wanted to share with you a couple of stories about that from our uh, lineage, Zen part of our lineage. It's called Sejo's Soul. And it's a, uh, it's a ghost story from China, from Chinese, from China. And there was a teacher there, Goso, by name of Goso, who asked a question about this story. The question was, which is the real Seijo? So I'll tell you a little bit about Goso. Goso was uh, a Zen master who came to Zen a little bit late. He was ordained when he was 35. Usually in Asia, people are ordained monks really early on. He was a um, scholar and he couldn't find, he couldn't settle with his own understanding. He, he understood that he didn't really, it wasn't his. The knowledge wasn't his. It was somebody else's knowledge. It's a, um, it's a famous kind of saying in Zen. You have to know for yourself. You can't, intellectual understanding in, in our, our, our way is not enough. 
So he went around, you know, and he tried to find a good teacher and he found a teacher, eventually did. And of course he woke up <laughs> and um, he taught for, I think, 40 years. And there was a, there's a fun story about him when he, when he died, he told his community that he was going to retire, that it was time for him to, to retire. And the story goes that he took a bath, he shaved, he sat down and he died there are that story there there's a story like that for a number of zen masters so anyway he commented on this ghost story about seijo so i'll tell you the story the story goes that um there was a um, family who had two daughters and the father one of the daughters was lost one daughter was lost and so the father was very um attached to and, uh, you know, really liked the second daughter, loved the second daughter a lot and did everything with the second daughter and so on and so forth. And um, so as she was growing up, the family was a very close with a cousin whose name was, so the girl, the daughter was named Sejo and the cousin that she played with as a child and grew up with was named Osho, her cousin. And the family watched them grow up and decided that, you know, it would be great if they were a couple. And in fact, it kind of happened. They grew up together. They played a lot together. They fell in love. They wanted to get, they wanted to get married and spend the rest of their lives together. But the father had a different idea. And at, at the time, it was okay for parents to arrange a marriage for their children, for their daughters, for the children, I guess, both. And, uh, so he had arranged a different for her to be, uh, wed to a, to a different person, not Osho, who she loved. And, um, when, when the father told her that situation, she told Osho and Osho was, they were both distraught actually. And Osho decided that he couldn't bear it and that he, couldn't stay and see her married to somebody else she didn't love. And so he got in a boat, some kind of boat, and he began, I, I don't know if it was a rowboat, but anyway, he began, I guess, rowing up the Yangtze River away from her and that situation. And um, as he was rowing, he looked back and he saw somebody on the uh, side of the river, and it was Sejo. And she says, I want to go with you. I, I don't want to get married. I want to be with you. And she jumps into the boat and they continue up the river. And they stay away. They, you know, the story goes that they stay away and they get married and they have two children and they're pretty happy. But at some point, Sejo feels, begins to feel regret because as she understands her relationship with her own kids, she is imagining how much her father was distraught about her leaving and running away like that. So she talks about this with Osho and they decide to return to the father and apologize and see if they can get his blessing. And so they return back. And um, when they get to the village, um, Sejo stays in the boat and Osho 
trots, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. So Osho goes back to the father and says, um, you know, bows to him and begs for forgiveness and having run off with his daughter. And the old man is listening to this and he's incredulous because he tells Osho that actually, I don't know what, you know, he says, I, I don't know what you're talking about because Seijo has been in bed basically almost comatose all this time. So I don't know who you're talking about, but Sejo's here. She never left. And Osho says, how can that be? You know, Sejo is in the boat. I'm gonna, I'll go get her and bring her here so you can see. And as this is happening, the Sejo who is comatose in bed evidently hears this and she gets up. And the sejo from the bed and the sejo from the boat come toward each other and meld. And they become one. And then sejo says, I don't know what exactly happened, but when Osho left, I ran to him. I felt like I was ran to him in a dream. She doesn't know what happened. So Gozo takes this ghost story and asks this really wonderful question. It's kind of a koan. Which Seijo is real? Who is the real Seijo? Is the real Seijo the one who was um, connected to her own heart, mind, her essence, and goes to join her, what she feels is her real situation, her real self? so to speak, or is it the sejo who is sick in bed? Which one is the real sejo? It's a good question because we have a kind of a split in our own uh, selves, especially when we begin practice. We have a being in us that is that we talk to, you know, that we have judgments about, that we like or we dislike. We have qualities that we don't want to have anything to do with. We resist parts of ourselves that, that come out of us that we, that we don't like or that there are other parts of ourselves that we want to cultivate and be. And who is the real me? Who, who, who am I? This is a, fundamental question of our path am I you know my seeking person am I the grasping person am I the one who's resisting am I the one who's who am I am I the one who when I sit perhaps you know sinks into a, a vast silence that is open and connected and silent and still that can actually watch the mind movement that we call our egoic self. Which one is the real me? You know, when we, when we, when we begin practice this, you know, our ego is really all it is, is this movement. It's a, it's a verb. <laughs> so it's a movement of mind. There is nothing there underneath it. 
there's just this movement of mind, these thoughts that we are not in control of, obviously, right? And at first, of course, you know, as is all of our experiences, we are totally identified with this movement of mind. You know, I am angry, you know, or I am happy, or I am, <laughs> you know, whatever. And the first real taste of freedom is when we can observe that mind, that movement of mind without being drawn into it, without being actually identified with it, knowing that it really is not the real me. It's just something that it is actually, it is what we become free of. And eventually as we walk this path, you know, either by having um, experiences that are valuable, but not absolutely necessary, these experiences of openness or awaking, what they really do, what they do, they do two things. In my experience, they do two things. One is, is it helps us let go. It helps us not grasp. It helps us let life be the way it is arising in its constant uh, flow. It allows us to uh, surrender to life the way it has come to be. It's, it's important. But we can also, on, and we do, if we are courageous enough and determined enough and have enough humor about it and are willing and curious if we really want to be free, we will little by little uh, see how this mind works, see how we recreate ourselves over and over out of these thoughts, attachment to these thoughts, and we let them go. We let them go. And as we don't give energy to that mind, to those, to that movement, because there's nothing really there but that movement, eventually it dissolves or it drops away or it, um, well, that's what it does. <laughs> you know, it, it, it drops away, it drops away. And we, instead of living from a place where that egoic, constellation is in the center through which we're, you know, seeing everything and reacting to everything and being triggered by everything and so on. It, it, it's, it, we, we, it becomes its proper place, which is way over to the side. And we begin living from a different place. And you can call that place anything you want you know, emptiness or awareness or the mystery or uh, stillness or actually, actually, it's the heart. What happens is we move from the head, knowing from the head, from in, just like this guy goes up, you know, f- instead of coming from the head, our attention you can even do that now. You can move your attention from coming from understanding from up here 
And just move your attention down. Just let the whole thing fall down, drop down to the heart chakra. And listen from the heart. Feel from the heart. See from the heart. Because it's the heart, the openness of heart, that knows this wholeness. And we can rest there. You, we can live. We we can live from there. And the heart doesn't. <clears throat> when we live from the heart, we don't create division. We're not fighting with ourselves inside, and we're not fighting with people outside. It's the heart that sees truth. So little by little, we, we integrate these cast off parts of ourselves and we, 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 we are able to let them go because we eventually, after a while, we end up loving them. These parts of ourselves that before were, you know, I don't know if anathema is, I think anathema is the right word. You know, they're separate from us. We cannot separate inside. We have to embrace all of those parts of ourselves that we want to, you know, leave them in bed somewhere else. We have to embrace them and, and, and appreciate their teaching because it's through our own suffering it's through our own you know creating these separations all the time that we find wholeness there's nothing left out nothing it's all the path it's all the path so here's another um zen story that i really like this zen story it's a story that i turn myself now over and over again it's from um, a teacher called Joshu or in Chinese it's Zhao Zhou he's a favorite teacher he's a he's a very famous teacher I think of of the collections of koans the uh, Muman Khan which is translated as um, the gateless gate and the Hekigan Roku which is the blue cliff the blue Cliff record. That's a tongue twister. Um, of all of them, he has probably the most stories in them. There are numbers of them, and they're all, they're really famous. He was a, um, he also was very much older when he began practicing and certainly older when he woke up. They say that he lived to 120 years. I don't know if that's true, but. He um, was extraordinarily ordinary, is what they say about him. And here's a, this is a poem that he wrote that gives you kind of a taste of his, I think it gives you a taste anyway. Uh, as a butterfly lost in flowers, as a child fondling a mother's breast, 
as a bird settled on a tree. For 67 years of this world, I have played with God. As a butterfly lost in flowers, as a child fondling their mother's breast, as a bird settled on a tree, for 67 years of this world, I have played with God. This is uh, Jiaojo, Joshu. Joshu in Japanese, Jiaojo in Chinese. Um, his teacher was Nanshuan. Nanshuan was the famous guy with the um, koan with the cat, cutting the cat. Do you know that koan? It's a problematic koan. <laughs> but anyway, he was with him for 40-some years, I think, something like that. This is uh, his wake-up story. This is Jiao Zhou's, Nanshuan's wake-up story. It's called Ordinary Mind is the Way. Another really interesting koan, right? Ordinary mind. What is ordinary mind? How is that the way? How is ordinary mind the way? Right. So here's the story. Zhao Zhou asked Nan Xuan, what is the way? And Nan Xuan said, ordinary mind is the way. And Zhao Zhou asked, can we strive toward this? Nanshuan said, to strive toward it is to turn away. This is also, that's a really interesting part of that, go on. Seeking, right? Zhao Zhou said, without striving, how can we know the way? It's a question about effort. It's a really good question. Nanshuan said, the way has nothing to do with knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion and not knowing is apathy. This is not the not knowing that is important that we actually need to get to. This is a different not knowing, right? If you really attain the way without doubt, it is vast and boundless like open space. How can you speak of affirmation or negation? And with that, Zhao Zhou woke up. Yeah, Zhao Zhou is good. His teaching was really simple and direct. Here's another um, taste of his teaching that's also very famous. A monk asked Zhao Zhou, well, is it when a new student comes to the monastery and talks to the teacher and he says, I'm a new student. I've just entered the monastery. Please teach me. And Zhao Zhou said, have you eaten breakfast? And the monk said, yes, I have. And Zhao Zhou says, good, then wash your bowls. This is Zhao Zhou's teaching. Very direct, very silent, very simple. And this is the story that I am both uh, working with and like and want to share with you. So a monk asked Zhao Zhou, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from India? This is a very famous kind of question in Zen. You know, it can mean everything. What is practice? What is reality? You know, what is Bodhidharma's meaning coming from the West? And Jojo says, the cypress tree in the garden. 
Now, this is a really good student because he doesn't, or she, let's say, let's imagine, let's not cut out the women from our lineage, doesn't stop with the teacher's first response. He digs, he wants a, you know, a deeper answer or an answer that they can understand better or a better pointer or something. And so he says, or she says, I love this. She says, please don't teach me using an object. That's a really good response. And Jaoja says, I am not using an object. And the student says, well, what is the meaning of ancestors coming from the West or from India? And Jaoja says, what do you think he says? <laughs> yeah, he says, the cypress tree in the garden. Now, I love this koan, first of all, because it has to do with trees, and I love trees. You know, um, just as an aside, why don't you guys should, I'm not should, excuse me for using should, I don't mean should. Um, pick a tree if you want to. Pick a tree, any tree. It could be a big tree or a little tree or a, any kind of a tree. Trees are special. And watch it. Just look at it, you know, a, a f even a few minutes every day. The trees have a, um, you can taste the presence. You can taste silence, stillness from a tree. And they're fun to watch, you know, watch who comes there and watch them, you know, move in the breeze or how they, you know, trees, I, 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 this is the way I thought about it myself. They, they eat the sun, right? They eat the sun. They make sugar out of light. It's magic, right? And in, a, okay, here I am about trees a little bit, but, you know, in a forest, all the trees are connected. If you look, and they have done this, if you look, un, you know, in the soil underneath the trees in the ground, they're all connected by mycelium, by, by uh, mushroom structures that look like a brain underground. And these mother trees, the main trees of a forest, the ancient and old trees of a forest, they are connected to all of their, to all the other trees and to their siblings, not their siblings, their, their babies. And if the mother tree has extra nutrition, they send them to their babies. And they know the difference between their babies and the other trees in the forest. I mean, it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. We are one awake life living itself. That's, it's magic. And we get to taste it for like a snap of a finger. Anyway, I, I like this story because um, the teacher, Nanchuan, does not see the tree as an object. The student basically is seeing a word, is, is seeing tree as a word. 
I'm looking at a tree across the street, actually, out my window. But Jiaojo doesn't see that way. Jiaojo sees the essence of the tree, which is, you know, <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, emptiness or, or, you know, Buddha nature or mystery. But what Jiaojo sees, he sees the same essence. He sees the essence of the tree. He sees the essence of the student, the essence of the bowl, the essence of the himself. So he's not using an object to teach at all. This essence, this is the real magic part of it. This essence, this emptiness, this vast nothingness, somehow or another, there's awareness there. And somehow or another, it's beyond my understanding, somehow or another, when this awareness comes into form, it functions as love. It, it walks in the world as love. And to me, that's what our path is about. That's what, to me, that's what we're, that's what I want. Anyway, and about you guys, that's what I want. I'd love to be in the world as that kind of, you know, light, right? I think you guys do too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. It's, this path is not easy. But it's worth it, for sure. But it's not easy. You have to give up everything. Yeah, I, I myself, you know, I want to go as deep in this lifetime as I can. And I never found a better way of doing it. And we can, you know, we can't, not only can we all do this, we all deserve to do this as human beings. You know, fallible, nobody's perfect. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes. You know, but each one of us is good on the inside. You know, we, we all are this life wanting to know itself through all these various, you know, um, manifestations. It's in that way that we can taste, you know, what we are, which is a miracle. Right? So I encourage us all to keep going in the best way that we can. And, um, you know, you need each other. We need each other. We need teachers who just have done this for longer than other people. They're not, you know, um, you know, perfect beings. They've just, they just know more, you know, they, they've walked along the path more. You need a teacher. You need community. But, but you lay people, lay, you could do it in, you don't have to be a resident of a monastery, although it helps. You know, you could be late, late non-residents can do this. I, I have, I know people who have done it really, really well. So, you know, I hope a little bit I encourage you and 
keep going and um, use everything that's around you. And then when you are free, more free than not of your own stuff, you hold out your hand to the next person. That's how it works. So that's my two cents for today. Um, I'd like to dedicate our uh, talking together to indigenous people who have been trying to show us how to live in balance for years. And I hope we can listen more to them and the essential workers who provided me food and all kinds of things while they uh, were at risk. And to the other beings in this world who we share this living planet with, you know, may we all find the truth and be free of this unnecessary suffering sooner than later. (laughs) And enjoy this life that we've been given, this mysterious, magical place that we live together. So thank you for listening, and I wish you all well. And I look forward to coming to say hello to you in person when I can. So. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.